I'm Bill Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. No matter where you live or what your dietary preferences are, there's an extremely high chance that you have heard of or participated in Meatless Monday. While the concept of not eating meat one day a week seems fairly simple, the story behind this Monday campaign and the tangible impact it can have is quite fascinating. In this episode, I speak with Peggy New, the president of the Monday Campaigns, the nonprofit that originally founded Meatless Monday. Peggy has been working with the Monday Campaigns for the past 10 years and shares the origin story of how an advertising executive turned this straightforward idea into a full-fledged global movement. In this engaging conversation, we get into Meatless Monday's strategy for success and discuss the many different ways the organization has been able to get this initiative into schools, businesses, local governments, and countries all across the world. Peggy shares insights into the simple power of the campaign and what they have done to make their approach to meat reduction so effective. Resistance is a major issue experienced by food companies and advocates who are looking to promote the idea that eating less meat is better for your health and the planet. But through this conversation, Peggy provides priceless advice and strategic methods that can help improve and magnify these efforts. To hear more about these incredible insights and much more from Peggy, listen in. Peggy New, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's my pleasure to join you. So Meatless Monday, I think there's, I would safe to say no one listening to this um, would be surprised uh, that you're on this podcast or uh, won't know what it is that Meatless Monday is. But at the same time, while people may have heard of Meatless Monday and about the numerous institutions and celebrities and others who have endorsed the program and the campaign. Uh, I find it surprising most people don't even know where it all began. So I think that in itself is a fascinating enough story. So if you if you don't mind, I'd love to start off with the origin story of Meatless Monday and how uh, this this amazing world-changing campaign got started. Yeah, it's it's actually a great story, and it goes back 100 years, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, the original Meatless Monday uh, was started in World War One, and it was an easy idea people could do to um, help the troops. And I think it was Woodrow Wilson during World War One, and it was part of the whole food will win the war effort. And so I think in some way that early sense of patriotism and all joining together to take a simple action to contribute to the war effort is still very much in the campaign today. So in any case, it was brought back in World War II. And, um, but the modern Meatless Monday was started by uh, a gentleman called Sid Lerner, and he was a former advertising executive, um, amazing creative guy, sort of the Don Draper of the Mad Men era, <laughs> you know, has lots of different ideas. And so he was at a meeting at Johns Hopkins. And the conversation turned to uh, saturated fat in the diet. This was uh, 15 years ago. And, um, you know, he asked, well, you know, how much saturated fat is too much? And so the, you know, 
uh, health professionals at Hopkins said, well, current recommendation is to reduce it by 15%. And he thought, oh, well, that's like roughly equivalent to one day a week. So rather than trying to measure out some sort of reduction in every meal, why not just, you know, one day a week um, skip meat? And that's how the whole thing started. And he remembered um, Meatless Monday from World War II, you know, hmm. during his Boy Scout days and uh, brought it back. So that's how the whole thing started. Wow. Isn't it funny that it started in World War One? And if you actually trace back the history of the of factory farming and the food industry, uh, it was post-World War One when there suddenly was a surplus of food production, which had gone up during the war. Uh, that eventually led to what we we now keep criticizing, which is subsidies that, that um, make meat, dairy, and eggs much cheaper than producing vegetables, for example. Oh, much cheaper to, to produce and sell, and, and which is why we ended up with factory farming. So it's, it's interesting that Meatless Monday started during the war, but uh, it was the post-war era that actually led to uh, mass production in um, the meat industry and led to the mess that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, and it's it's so ironic too. I mean, sometimes, and this is the challenge in the world today. Now, it's you sort of want to turn back the clock because if you look at this, food will win the war, and they have these wonderful posters uh, that that you can find. You know, they're talking about victory gardens and and food waste and all of the issues that we're talking about um, today to grow food more responsibly. Uh, you know, to be thinking about the broader implications. We're sort of there, but yeah, you're right. We sort of, um, as in many other aspects of our society, kind of got off on the industrial production and mass um, mass production, which, as we have seen now, has been kind of damaging to the food system. Yeah, and in some ways it makes almost more sense. I mean, it's, it's amazing that we have this campaign now because, like the war, we have an urgent need uh, to to do something. And if you can actually rally, you know, starting with Americans, but then globally, because this is not a problem uh, unique just to America, we, 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 if you can actually use the same tactics that were used back then, uh, now it's needed. And if you can rally people around this one cause and see that if we get on board with it, we can, we can win the war against climate change uh, and our global health crisis. Um, It'll be an amazing story to to look back at fifty hundred years from now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that excites me so much about the idea, um, because it lends itself to that in a, in a couple of ways. And I I don't know if your listeners are aware. In addition to the Meatless Monday in the U.S., um, it has become a global movement. It's implemented in some way, shape, or form in over 40 countries, 22 languages. Uh, Paul McCartney picked it up in 2009 in the UK, which got a lot of global attention. So this is really a global global movement. And I think there is a, um, you know, a parallel of the idea of people pulling together around a simple idea. Mm-hmm. The reason that Meatless Monday really lends itself to that um, is you know, partly it's not just the Monday part is the alliteration, but it really is a very meaningful part of the whole concept because Monday is the beginning of the week. People are looking to do something that's healthy 
And because it's a specific time and people are together in a specific place, they can do it together. So this is not just an individual thing you go off and do. You have Meatless Monday together with your family, with your coworkers, with friends eating out. And it's like incredibly inspiring that, you know, in 40 countries around the world, from Israel to Iran, there are people that are doing the exact same thing. They're taking that simple action, um, you know, for the same reasons, because they care about their health, they care about the planet. And um, so I think it is that kind of unity and coming together around our big problems that has made Meatless Monday really be one of the ideas that's, that's taken off. Yeah. And the, the simplicity of it, I, you know, that I think is a interesting point, because Sometimes people, when they're thinking about new things to do, it's it's easy to start um, uh, brainstorming and uh, overcomplicating something because you think some, some you need to overthink it and uh, really strategize um, in a big way, and you end up inadvertently coming up with something that that doesn't stick because of that reason because it gets too complicated. And I think the beauty, as you just articulated, is is the simplicity of the of the idea really and the action even is pretty simple um and and i think that's probably played a huge role in um in helping the campaign grow over the years but i'm sure that's not the only thing so why don't we go back to um so when the organization started when when sid had this idea why don't we we launch a campaign called meatless monday as a way to tackle the the issue with saturated fat um, how did that then evolve into, and I'm assuming this was in the early 2000s, how did that evolve into the organization and the, and the kind of campaign that we now know of as being Meatless Monday? Yeah, well, um, so he started by um, um, establishing a nonprofit uh, called the Monday Campaigns, and we actually um, do Meatless Monday as well as other health behaviors because Monday kind of works with physical activity and tobacco cessation. So we have, um, you know, all sorts of campaigns. But with Meatless Monday, um, we then partnered with um, this terrific group at Johns Hopkins, the Center for a Livable Future, and they their mission is really to look at the intersection between diet and climate and health. And so there are academic um, and scientific advisors for the campaign. And so then, you know, you're right. It's like no one knows about it. It's nothing. So how do we get, how do we get this off the ground? Um, so the approach we took was to um, try to early on get some visible early adopters. Um, you know, so uh, Oprah, Humane Society was one of the early groups that came on board. Um, Mario Batali's restaurant started Meatless Monday, Sodexo. So, you know, kind of hitting um, big influencers in different categories to be able to get attention. And then there was like a really um, critical philosophy early on that I think accelerated the adoption of it. And that was that to make it open source. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were never like, oh, you got to use our logo and find some agreements. It's like just an idea. And as you said, it's very simple. You don't even have to read anything more. Meatless Monday, you know what it means. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we made it easy for people, you know, everyone like came up with their own logo. Some use our, ours, but you know, they, people are welcome to use our creative, our materials, but they can also do their own thing. And so that really made it, um, a sense of, a of a movement. And I think that when it works and, 
how we get adopters is if it works for them, you know, so with Humane Society, it's like an idea that helps them achieve their mission. You know, Sodexo was able to, you know, meet their clients' demand for healthier food. So we really just try to, you know, uh, help people succeed. So the measure of success is whether Meatless Monday is helping them achieve their organizational goals. Right. So it isn't like Meatless Monday is, uh, you know, if anyone is going to implement it, they have to, uh, you have to, they have to pay you a license fee to, to use your trademark. Uh, it is completely open source in the sense that you, anyone can take the idea and adapt it and, and you're just there to support. I mean, your organization is there to support and provide resources. Yes, that's exactly how it works. Now, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that can also get you into trouble Mm. Um, (laughs) because, you know, sometimes, you know, we really, our philosophy is choice and moderation and it's baby steps and it's trying to put a big tent up being very inclusive. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes on a college campus, a student group will get a Meatless Monday going and they take me totally off the menu, you know, Mm -hmm. and then everyone gets mad and, um, you know, then it's like a controversy or, you know, people will try to take, you know, turn it into kind of an extreme vegan thing, even though we do feature a lot of vegan recipes. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think that that's, you know, part of the challenge is that, um, you know, sometimes people will, um, you know, take it more to the extreme and then maybe make another group uh, mad. But, you know, I tell you, even when that happens, it like starts the conversation. And I, you know, people often ask, like, what's the most powerful part of, of this? you know, every week is that there's at least a conversation around me, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. really what needs to happen. And if there's a, you know, someone on, you know, the extreme vegan animal welfare side, great, you know, let's get into a conversation with someone that maybe is just trying to cut down a little or isn't cutting down at meat all at, at all. So it's just really a way to stimulate the conversation, getting that first easy action going. And, you know, hopefully it'll uh, lead to other changes. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard that uh, from some before. Why Meatless Monday? Why not Meatless Every Day? Uh, But the best part is when people get as 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 frustrating sometimes as that may be sometimes that, um, you know, everyone wants to look for the best um, or the perfect solution. Uh, when people do start debating about things like that, at least they're debating about reduction of meat consumption. So uh, you have sparked the conversation that wasn't happening before. Uh, and I think by virtue of doing that, you've already um, planted a bit of a seed that is going to bring about change, even if the change is not exactly what you're saying it is, uh, and it is some other variation of it. So I, I totally get that. And I also want to go back to... Um, what you mentioned earlier, and I think it's a it's a very important lesson uh, and a takeaway for anyone looking to launch uh, a campaign, an idea, a nonprofit, a business, that an easy first step uh, to take when no one knows who you are, what you're doing, is to build alliances and build alliances with people who have influence, ideally, if you're able to get to them. Um, that's the easiest way to popularize an idea without, you know, even when you don't have a huge marketing budget or, um, and, and the idea is relatively obscure. So I think that's a crucial lesson, which continues to this day. I mean, now you have social media influencers that become the first starting point for, uh, brands to go to when they're trying to get their product out there. So, 
I, it, that le- that lesson is 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 I think eternal, and it is all based on the idea of relationships and alliances and and partnerships and um, and coming coming together on a together to further a big idea. So I just wanted to make sure that that didn't get lost because I think it's a crucial thing that that people don't understand is 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 what is a tactic used by many. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think with um, advocacy groups, um, often there's this sense of trying to make it their own and own it and um, not being kind of flexible enough to say, okay, well, it doesn't have to be ours. You know, maybe we can get these other organizations to make, to, to align their agenda. Um, and I think, you know, we, we don't have a media budget. We don't spend any money on, on marketing, but it's like we go to people with a bigger megaphone. And I do think that that sometimes gets lost with, um, with, um, you know, nonprofits and advocacy groups, uh, you know, just just how you can, you know, piggyback on what other people are doing and not always trying to create your own separate thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so much synergies to be had. And I think, I know it's cliched, but together, obviously, we're stronger than alone. So um, it, I think you just have to find a way to get it, get it implemented. So I think that's a crucial lesson. And, and it's kind of explains why the, the campaign grew uh, and has kind of reached the mass audience that it has. Um, so when did you really get involved? I know you had a background in advertising. How did you get drawn to this campaign and and what really got you excited to then, you know, focus your career and your daily life on on furthering this message? Yeah. So as as you said, I, my background is in advertising. So I spent um, almost 20 years at a big agency, gray, gray advertising. And, you know, I just kind of got to the point of, you know, I really liked it a lot, but, you know, dishwashing liquid and some of the <laughs> products I was working on, you know, were maybe not the most meaningful. So I ended up leaving. I took um, a mid-career sabbatical. I traveled around the world and did, you know, some volunteer work and, you know, went off to distant places in Tibet and India to try to find myself. Um, and so when I, I came back, I really, you know, started looking for some things that were more mission oriented. Um, and then I just happened to be, you know, recruited really by um, a headhunter who was, um, you know, looking to fill this position as uh, president of the Monday campaigns. And it just so happened that my experience was perfect, you know, with advertising, but then, you know, wanting to um, do something more mission driven. I had done some um, social market um, marketing campaign campaigns with the um, U.S. government, with HHS. So I had some experience with that. Uh, so it was a great fit. And I've been there uh, 10 years from now. 10 years now. Wow. Okay. And that's, uh, so obviously it's working out well. So, uh, and, and you know, what I find the, the beautiful about the, I've always thought this about the Meatless Monday campaign, because it's so unique compared to anything else that exists in the um, food activism, advocacy, or even the food industry for that matter, because at the heart of it, it is, it is, it is just an idea. All it is, is an idea. And that you and your organization have managed to take that idea and turn that into this, this global movement right now. So I, I know it may seem that, okay, you got some promotion from the, from Oprah and that in itself probably helped, but um, how did, like what tactics, what kind of strategies do, did you work on when you came on board to say, 
okay, how do we take it from where it's gotten now to to becoming this 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 term that everyone across the world pretty much has heard of somehow? Right. Yeah. So I think that that was um, the the getting the big influencers was part of it, but it's like the the top influencers and then the grassroots. And I think that the grassroots, which I define as um, you know, it's our social media followers, but even more significant, it's bloggers, it's individual advocates, it's all the people who started, you know, these um, different uh, Meatless Monday programs in different countries or who, you know, are in a company and decide to take it to their management to have it in the cafeteria. And that's really, you know, we sort of just have this army of passionate advocates out there that, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, whether whether it's climate, health, um, animal welfare, um, you know, see Meatless Monday as this simple idea. It's like you're sitting there, you've got these huge problems, and, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Well, you know, I can suggest to my cafeteria that they can do a Meatless Monday. I can, get, you know, get it started in my kid's school. So, so many of the programs um, have been started that way, you know, like not us going to the, you know, head of the school district, but some passionate person, um, you know, in there that is uh, that is advocating for it. And so increasingly, we spend a lot of our time doing, um, you know, uh, implementation guides, and we come up with like great creative and resources. So for all of those, you know, passionate advocates out there, we really see our role as kind of putting in their hands everything they need to make it easy to start a Meatless Monday in whatever setting they want to. Wow. And was there ever any temptation to, uh, and I'm sure you've had some discussions around this, to directly launch campaigns and engage with, say, institutions and food service providers and schools and hospitals and corporations directly and get them to bring about change? Um, Have you ever attempted that or have you always taken this approach that we are here just to empower others and they can do this in whatever shape and form that they deem fit. Because, I mean, great example is look at what HSUS has done. The Humane Society has, has they have an entire, I think, a team that's dedicated to implementing this now, or at least have had a team that has done this over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, actually, we, we do direct, you know, working with um, different partners. I mean, whoever wants to do it will try to help and assist. But so what we try to do, and we've got a number of these going now, and I think that this is given our partnership with Johns Hopkins, this is something special we can bring to the party, um, is that we're doing some um, evaluations of kind of ideal implementations of Meatless Monday in different settings. So we have one happening now at um, New York Presbyterian Hospital. Um, And again, you know, it's kind of, all right, four big cafeterias, 20,000 employees. Now, how are we really going to implement this, both in terms of the food, you know, offerings, but then also the promotion and the education? Um, we have another one with Whitson's, um, which is, uh, um, is a food service provider for K through 12, uh, 95 districts in the Northeast. And again, it's that same thing, a rigorous 
um, implementation and evaluation. And then the third one we're really excited about is with Bedford, New York, the community of Bedford. And they started a community-wide um, Meatless Monday as part of their Bedford 2020 initiative, which was a climate initiative. So, um, you know, their focus was, was more for the environment. And, uh, you know, Hopefully out of that, again, with the rigorous implementation and evaluation, we want to create a model for a citywide campaign uh, that could then be replicated. So it's not like other cities, other hospitals haven't done Meatless Monday, but these will be, you know, ones that can be replicated with kind of an expectation that someone could get the same results. So that's where we'd like to kind of focus our time and energy. Yeah, that's that's exciting. That's beyond just, you know, the idea and turning that into a real program that works, that people actually like, and that they can be, uh, as you said, replicated in other places that have similar structures. So um, if you look back at, say, the last 10 years since you've been involved, um, uh, obviously, the fact that most people know about the campaign is a measure of success. But how do you sort of measure the success and the growth of this campaign over the past 10 years or even over the lifetime of the organization? What are your kind of key metrics and what do you look to gain when you make your goals, your plans for the coming year or the five years ahead, perhaps? Right. Well, um, you know, part of it is through these um, evaluations and implementations we do in different settings. Um, And then... You know, it, it is the, the number of people that are adopting it, you know, how many food companies, how many other media outlets that have, um, you know, weekly Meatless Monday features. But one of the things we do is, um, and this has been since I've been here, is a um, tracking survey. So, you know, every year we measure um, awareness and influence and, you know, how it's impacting people's behavior. Um, the last one we did um, actually showed overall awareness was 30% of Meatless Monday, uh, uh, 30% of the U.S. population was aware of Meatless Monday, but that went up substantially among people that are actively reducing meat. Um, so the way it kind of worked out, there were 36% who said they're not considering reducing meat at all. And interestingly, they tend to be older, retired, you know, no kids in the house. The percentage of people, which was about equal, that are actively reducing meat have, you know, their families, they have kids in the household, they're their primary, you know, meal preparer. So, um, and then among that group who is aware of Meatless Monday, you know, 64% of them said that Meatless Monday had influenced them to reduce meat. Um, And out of that, the parts that we get really excited about are just some of the stats about how how we're doing that. And I think, um, you know, some of the top ways that it does impact people is that, you know, they experiment with new meatless recipes at home. You know, um, they try more meatless meals when they're eating out. They, you know, incorporate more fruits and vegetables overall into their diet. So it is that kind of by trying it one day, it opens your, you know, universe up to the other possibilities, um, you know, throughout the rest of the week. Yeah, I talked to a, that. That I I think is such an important point because I talk to a lot of um, advocates and activists who are trying to do everything from systems change and and kind of focusing on how institutions can can change what they currently do, but also many who are trying to bring about behavior change at the consumer level, which 
as we've learned over the years, is the toughest thing to really uh, focus on because uh, people are pr very kind of, I, mean, I think the word is attached to their notions of food and their cultural ideas of what they should be eating. And they're kind of conditioned. Yeah, I think conditioned is a better word. They're conditioned to make choices without even thinking about why they're making them. And when, yeah, you can tell someone about the health implications of a meat-heavy diet while you can explain to them the environmental impact that the meat industry is having and how majority of our meat comes from factory farms and, you know, they're destroying our air, our water, our rainforests, our oceans. The the action that then, the, it really comes down to what action you recommend. And that's where I think most people stumble because if you say all that and then you tell someone, well, the solution is, you sh well, you shouldn't eat any of it, and saying that to someone whose idea of food is all of it and nothing else, uh, it really doesn't leave much room for taking a first step. And I think what I love about Meatless Monday and why I think it sort of has stood the test of time as as things have evolved and as dietary patterns have shifted and as the food industry has, has evolved and grown in the last 10, 15 years is because what it does in its essence, and correct me if you if you think this is an accurate description, but it creates a easy container of sorts which allows people to say, hey, this day of the week I'm not going to eat meat or this uh, cafeteria is not going to serve meat, which automatically means that, that those dishes that would have meat is now replaced by something else that most people would otherwise not try. So it kind of becomes a gateway into a whole new world of food. Um, and you, you really, it's really tough to, uh, to measure what impact that's having on people because imagine someone whose idea of a meal is you have to have uh, animal protein in between two slices of bread or uh, with vegetables or in whatever form they're eating a, a meal. And suddenly that's been replaced by something else um, it can open a whole new world for people and who knows where it leads down to. So I just think it, it's, a, it's a simple, easy gateway for people to try something that otherwise intellectually they may get, but uh, because of their attachment to food and their conditioning around what a good meal is, may be uh, hesitant to try on their own at least. Yeah, and I, it, it, it just brings up a kind of central question of like, oh, okay, I'm not going to have meat. Well, what do I eat instead? Mm -hmm. And then that's where it really gets interesting <laughs> because people are so used to having a big slab of protein in the middle of the plate. Um, you know, they're not used to necessarily um, preparing vegetarian meals. Um, one of the big um, co contributions that I think that Meatless Monday promotions have for food service companies and restaurants is exactly that because it's stimulates some um, uh, culinary innovation. So if you're in a restaurant and suddenly they want to do a meatless Monday and that's the special of the week on a Monday, it's like, oh my God, we better come up with something special. You know, <laughs> like what are we going to make? And so then it's like, oh, okay, well, we can get some fresh produce. Uh, so chef training and culinary innovation and, you know, by having that platform once a week where that's the special day for plant-based options, wherever you're eating, um, you know, it gives you an opportunity to experiment uh, with plant-based um, eating. And, and that in itself is sort of one of the great results of the initiative. 
Yeah, it's really shifting uh, meat off the plate for that one day. Uh, yeah, how do you then crowd up that plate? And that opens up these these possibilities that, that people are generally closed off to until they try it. So uh, I, I totally get that. But when we get, we're, we're in 2018 now, and recent reports say that, uh, at least from an environmental standpoint, we don't have a, a big window of time uh, to bring about the change that's needed to slow down the pace of climate change. Um, and of course, as we've, we've anyone listening to this podcast before who's remotely aware of the impact of our industrialized food system knows that one of the biggest contributors to the problem with climate change, but also in general degradation of our oceans and our forests and our land, our soil, our air, uh, is tied into industrial meat production. So it's become... You know, if this was an an issue back in the early 2000s when the campaign started uh, because of saturated fat, well, but, well, that hasn't really gone away. There is now this added layer of uh, the environment and and the added layer of the global health crisis that we're seeing in this country and across the world as countries like China and India get increasingly industrialized uh, in their food production and start shifting towards more of a meat-heavy diet. So the urgency is 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 more now than it ever has been. Uh, how does that impact the way you think about Meatless Monday in this day and age, given the fact that it seems like if you can encourage people to shift their diets, we may really have a shot of tackling this climate change problem? Yeah, no, I mean, I, the climate change picture is, is just daunting. Um, and I think it, it really does, and this is with our colleagues at Johns Hopkins and just the whole community of people that is looking at, you know, food and climate, um, you know, any of the climate discussions, and it's getting a little bit better, but not much, um, you know, at, at, at the cops or at the higher level, don't include diet or food and particularly meat. Um, you know, so I think that's really not on the agenda when a country is developing their climate goals, um, you know, or, I mean, that's the exciting thing about the city, Bedford, we work with, and even New York Presbyterian, the hospital, it came from their sustainability group. So I think we see it as a major, you know, focus area to one, do the research and the science around the effect of meat on climate, and then figure out ways that countries, cities, institutions can implement a meatless Monday and other, you know, initiatives, food waste is a, is a big contributor, um, you know, to climate change, but can, you know, implement some of these initiatives and then, and then hopefully with some of the research, be able to quantify the impact that those changes will make in meeting their climate goals. Um, so, you know, I think that's definitely a priority. And, you know, the other thing is, as you said, the, um, you know, we're already eating a lot of meat, but really the biggest threat is, is in places like China and India, where they're abandoning their traditional diet, which was more plant-focused, and starting to move towards a, a meat-heavy diet, um, like we, you know, are eating in the West. So I think we just have to you know, and we're we're starting to get active in China and globally in some of these um, countries to figure out, well, how can you, you know, head that off at the pass, um, you know, and kind of encourage um, traditional diets in those countries and 
you know, uh, and, and, and encourage people to value nutrition and climate and eating consciously as opposed to taking the path that we've taken. Yeah, and you see all these governments as well as institutions, corporations putting out these reports about how we're gonna they're gonna meet their sustainability goals, and it's always fascinating to see most of them, actually almost all of them, have zero mention of food. Uh, it's always about you know what new lighting they've implemented and how they're how they're uh, they're solar you're looking to to do shift away from fossil fuels, which of course you should do. I'm not saying that's not important, but uh, I think it's just bringing food on the, you know, on the table, pun intended. And uh, when you're having discussions around uh, sustainability efforts as city governments, as institutions, as corporations, it needs to be a topic and a factor to be considered. And it's, it's shocking that in the year 2018, we're only now finally starting to Think about that, and I think that's. I think it's. I'm. I'm very happy to hear you say that because I think, with with working with corporations, governments, cities, getting them to implement some sort of commitments around meat reduction, starting with Meatless Monday, of course, uh, that in itself can have such a huge impact uh, because you can then tackle it in large numbers rather than individually kind of convince people to to do Meatless Monday. Yeah, well, that's and that's a total focus area for us. And I think just um, with our larger goal and Johns Hopkins larger goal of, you know, sort of global meat reduction, you know, the Meatless Mondays just also because we're the friendly guys, we're sort of well known, we're, mm -hmm. you know, moderate, just one day a week, we're sort of the tip of the spear, you know, mm -hmm. that's how we sort of see each <laughs> other, you know, that we can kind of get in, you know, land our little ship on planets where, you know, maybe other advocacy groups, you know, aren't, um, you know, welcomed in. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that because we're so out there, so um, prevalent, you know, we really are figuring out ways, you know, in terms of the creative, we're developing the implementation guides, the resources, attending conferences, um, you know, we're really out there trying to get meat on the agenda. And, uh, you know, I think we're making some progress, but we have a long, long way to go. Yeah, and I think it comes back to again. Your uh, it must be tempting to to. What, what, I think it must be tempting to do way more, but you recognize the role that you're playing. You're the tip of the spear. This is still that simple idea, but how that idea gets implemented is where the difference can be made. And the fact that it is a simple idea, and perhaps it is literally the sim the smallest step you can take. Uh, is what makes it probably more effective to talk to people about. Because as you said, yeah, there it doesn't seem like Meatless Monday comes with any other agenda except adopting Meatless Monday and <laughs> the simplicity yeah, of that. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're not, you're not trying to make, you know, it's not about you know, some sort of other hidden agenda about making people uh, adopt some sort of dietary ideology. It is not about... Um, some health and nutrition philosophy, because those keep changing, as you know. Uh, and neither is it necessarily directly about we are trying to reduce harm for the billions and billions of animals, uh, except Meatless Monday does tackle all of those problems, but does it in a way that actually doesn't explicitly have to make it about that. Yeah, no, it's an action, not an agenda. And I think that's, you know, it kind of is appealing um, more broadly. And I think, you know, the other thing is, 
is um, as well as you know some of the mainstream um, companies. I mean, TGI Fridays and uh, you know uh, groups like that that are starting to use it as a promotional platform. Um, you know, there also is something about having them be part of the movement. You know, it's kind of unifying, and they're you know really great folks at a lot of big food companies, and often the advocacy. Um, you know, groups a lot of people were friends with, you know, are, are more in the shaming mode, you know, <laughs> of a kind of attacking and, and there's a role for that quite of course, frankly. Yeah. I mean, um, so you got to do that, but again, we just see our role and try to keep it really focused as the friendly little small step guys, um, that can go in and, and sort of engage everyone. And then there's a role for, you know, other people to, to take other tactics. So they all work together. And again, we just try to kind of, you know, see our role as, you know, as in in that sort of very specific limiting way, because I think it makes it broader. Yeah. Do you ever, I mean, I know I've been keeping it very positive because I actually do agree with you 100%. And what you, what you actually just said is that, you know, your role, you know what you stand for and you play that part. Um, it doesn't mean other roles and other efforts and other tactics uh, are not good. They're just not yours. And they all are important uh, and all actually work together to bring about larger change. So I think that general philosophy, if you could, you know, not just in the food movement, but if you could start to apply that in our lives <laughs> and how we treat people, that would also be a pretty, pretty revolutionary change that we could bring about. But, you know, we won't go there now. Uh, but I do want to ask about how do you worry about... Um, uh, the campaign staying, staying fresh or, you know, because this has been around for quite a while. Um, what is, if you've, the good news at the end of the day in terms of what's happening in the food industry is, firstly, consumers are cutting down on meat consumption, at least in the West. Uh, secondly, the from a from a food industry standpoint, and, and I talk a lot about that on this podcast and featured many companies that are working on innovative new products that are actually providing um you know, really viable options if someone doesn't want to eat meat, wants to eat a plant-based burger. There are numerous options out there right now. So I guess my question to you really is that, do you worry that that the campaign um, maybe loses its relevance because people are, uh, because change is actually happening fast, which is a good thing, and people are actually shifting away from meat and maybe um, eating mostly plant-based or predominantly plant-based or maybe, you know, even going all vegan. Uh, and those numbers are also going up or people are giving up meat and maybe becoming pescatarian. Uh, do you worry that the campaign will eventually start to lose focus? How do you keep it fresh, I guess? Um, and, and I guess the second question, uh, part two of that is, how do you partner with some of these exciting new food startups and apps and online platforms that are changing dietary patterns and habits and by offering great products and services. Uh, and perhaps that helps answer the part A of the question, but I'll let you do that. Yeah. Well, so in terms of keeping it fresh, I mean, you know, the, our biggest challenge is that Monday comes away uh, around every seven days <laughs> and it's like a weekly thing. So it's like anyone that works on, you know, some other campaign that happens once a year, World Vegetarian Day, you know, just has one day a year to worry about. And so I think that is part of it. Um, what we really try to do is just 
come up with ideas and resources that allow people to activate it and keep it fresh. I mean, we just came out with this, um, you know, protein package of interesting little videos and GIFs and cool graphics to, you know, educate people about the fact that, you know, you don't need meat to get protein. And there are lots of other, you know, fun, delicious ways to do it. I mean, it's very recipe based. We put out um, new recipes, but I think that, um, you know, in terms of uh, keeping it fresh, I mean, some of the other thing, things you mentioned, though, is that, you know, if we are successful, you know, in the, in, in the future, we'll be eating a lot less meat, you know, I mean, you know, and not just one day a week. But I think even if that's the case, still having one day to kind of celebrate, um, you know, plant-based options and maybe using it as the day to try new things um, and to experiment with new recipes is still is still relevant. And, you know, I think a major focus, we haven't really gotten into this a lot, um, is global. Um, mm -hmm. So we're working, you know, very deliberately with our partners at Johns Hopkins to do research into um, global dietary shifts and what are the difference with the insights and attitudes towards meat in different cultures. So I think that, um, you know, that that's really another focus of seeing, okay, well, how can this concept and just meat reduction campaigns in general be adapted to different cultural contexts to be relevant? And, you know, that's part of um, making an idea fresh as well. Um, with the second part of your question, it is very interesting. I mean, um, Meatless Monday is used by, you know, Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger as a as a kind of, you know, platform. And a lot of, you know, food startups, it's, it's kind of a way, a day of the week they can promote their um, products, too. It's an interesting, you know, thing, though, because I think that one of the questions that's debated is, you know, the processed food as a solution, mm -hmm. you know, which a lot of the startups are focused on on that. And I think that that can be part of it. But I also think um, just whole foods and cooking are an important part of it. And that can often get lost. Um, one of our most interesting um, great partnerships is with this group, Slow Food. And, um, you know, they're a global food movement in, you know, I think over 120 countries. So I think a lot of the work we're doing with them is, um, you know, they're not processed. They're not fast food, but it's really about culinary traditions and celebrating plant-based culinary traditions in different cultures. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of our things we really want to try to, you know, maintain a focus on and not make the solution just having, you know, plant-based processed food. Yeah, I mean, both uh, both of that is really interesting. Firstly, the fact that sometimes it's easy for us sitting here in, in the U.S. to to always just keep looking at what's happening. Even even when we say we're looking at what's happening in the U.S., it tends to be mostly what's happening in the coasts. Um, not realizing there's a whole part of the country that actually isn't um, on board with some of these ideas. But when you zoom out and you look at the global picture, it is so complicated and um, and culturally driven, and and the same rules and tactics that apply over here don't necessarily work um, in in countries like India. In fact, I I grew up in India, and I was recently having a conversation with someone about how um, when I was growing up in India, meat e eating was was not the norm necessarily. 
uh, and it really depended on people's religious leanings uh, in many ways, and also depended on where they lived. The people in urban areas generally ate more meat, no matter what religion they were. And uh, now, in fact, when I and I visit India, it's I can see the change. It's like people who otherwise would never eat beef are suddenly eating beef, uh, and some people are eating it because um, it's almost the. I think more progressive people are eating meat in India because there's some religious undertones to why the government's trying to reduce or ban beef in certain areas. So in protest to that, people are increasing meat consumption. Um, and then, of course, with the rising middle class, uh, this whole idea that as you, you know, the, the rich people eat meat and the, the poor people eat the vegetables and rice, uh, that's also relevant in, in China as well, is driving some of this shift. And to... Convince Indians or perhaps even in China, but I, I can only speak from my experience in India, to get people to recognize that more meat is not necessarily a good idea um, and your traditional diet is actually way better when when everyone in India really wants to ape what the West is doing. And I remember when, when McDonald's first opened uh, in a neighborhood near me, there was a, there was a line around the block for it. People were so excited about it. And of course, no one was. And yeah, I think McDonald's does have a veggie burger in India, but uh, uh, for the most part, they were going lining up to eat meat and eat the the junk that's in McDonald's. So, it's to be able to do this work, even in countries like India and China, you firstly have to really understand how culturally people view meat, because it is completely different from how people view it over here. Yeah, well, it's and the thing that is um, exciting, though, I think that one of the motivations for different countries to join this movement is to make it a movement. Mm -hmm. And and I actually, I was just at a, in Italy at the Slow Food Global Conference, uh, and we connected with some folks in China and you know in in Russia, and it was really appealing to them to join the Meatless Monday movement because all the other countries are involved too, you mm -hmm. know, because Russians can kind of feel isolated. But the idea of sort of joining with other people around the world to work on important issues like climate change and health, um, you know, can kind of supersede, you know, maybe that immediate, oh, I, you know, I've got more money now and I have to eat and consume more. So, you know, that's the hope. I, th I think that, you know, in order to make a dent on this, and, you know, it is maybe going back to the World War One. you know, of, of just people had a sense of patriotism, wanting to join together, you know, feeling the world is in crisis, you know, what can we do? And if we could find ways to, you know, kind of do things together, um, I think that that can maybe be an overriding motivation. Yeah, I think that's such a such an important point. You're you're so right about that. And um and I think that the fact that you can, it's really how you message it, which I, I now totally understand why uh, your background in advertising and, and how this campaign even came about um, has really influenced how it's grown over the years because, because that's really advertising. You're taking ideas and you're trying to, you're going to try to bring about behavior shift, which is really get people to buy our stuff. Uh, and in this case, you're really taking an idea that, that that's you know time has come a while back but it's time for people to wake up to it and embrace it for whatever reasons and how you communicate that idea how you shape it whether it's making feel people feel included and part of a bigger movement and if that works it, it's 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 needed and i think uh that explains in some ways i think how this campaign has really become so so global um 
the other point you mentioned about um, the plant-based meats and burgers that exist out there uh, and the fact that, you know, they don't, while they may be a good replacement for meat, at the end of the day, you prefer to push people to, to try cooking and real food and whole foods. Uh, another factor to keep in mind, so I, I agree with that. I think in the longer run, if, if health's a focus, um, that's the right thing to say and do. Uh, not that these products don't have a role to play, but they have a role to play. They don't necessarily uh, need to replace every other meal you're having. Uh, that will, again, create another problem if you're looking at it from a health angle, of course. Um, but the other point I wanted to bring up is it's interesting that a lot of these new companies, um, and I've talked to many of them, I, I know the founders, uh, they don't. They want to think of their products as meat. Um, and in the case of plant-based, that, you know, that uh, for example, Beyond Meat, uh, insisted that their product, uh, the Beyond Burger, is sold in the meat aisle because they want people to think of their product as meat but just happens to come from plants. Um, whether they're in the long run going to be successful in bringing about that shift in people's minds is to be seen. But while that's happening, on the horizon is this other technology, which I've talked a lot about also on this podcast, which is cell-based meat, or as some people refer to it, uh, clean meat or cellular meat. Uh, which is meat, really. And uh, so how do, how do you think things like these looming technologies and the growth of, of, of these innovative new products that bleed and look like meat but are not meat or maybe are actually meat but just not from an animal, how does that factor into... And I guess maybe the cell-based meat one is, is meat, so it's really not part of your campaign. Uh, but yeah, any thoughts on any of these looming new, new, new developments in the food industry? Yeah, well, it's just this is like a this is like this really cool debate I get into, you know, whenever any of those folks come over to the office or just if not, uh, you know, um, it's like, what's the definition of meat? And should we be rebranding meat, you mm. know, and, and basically get everyone to say, oh, OK, you know, well, meat can either be made from animals um you know, or, or not. And then, um, then at that point, it's like, oh, well, meatless Monday, you know, that doesn't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it's, it's meatless. Um, so I, I guess my point of view is that, you know, pre people pretty much at this point associate meat with animal meat, you know? Um, and so if there is a future world, you know, where people, you know, define it, differently, you know, then that's a different question. But mm -hmm. I think for now, the clarity is around, you know, that, that meat is from animals. So I guess I'm not really worried about that. And I'm just not sure, you know, this is from my advertising background. I'm just not sure rebranding meat, um, you know, is the best strategy, because in a way, you're always going to be comparing it to the real thing, uh -huh. you know, so why set yourself up? to, you know, be the, the imitator, you know, as opposed to something new. So I, I think that's, you know, just kind of um, an interesting branding question as to whether, um, you know, there are other words or ways to position these new products, which are, you know, <clears throat> and I don't want to suggest I don't think they're important because people need easy, ready to serve options. You know, they're not going to cook every every meal but mm -hmm. i think that it is a you know kind of valid question of if rebranding meat to incompetent you know to to allow for some of these new products to be under that umbrella is the best um is the best choice 
Yeah, I know it's a fascinating intellectual discussion to have. You're you're right. It doesn't have much practical relevance right now because most people, I mean, almost everyone thinks when you say meat, they think of an animal. Um, not think of an animal; they know it comes from an animal. Um, so, but but it is interesting as um, these choices get get figured out because even even for example, and I'll just I'll just follow this train of thought for a moment and then bring it back because. Uh, if we can get go down a deep rabbit hole with this, uh, a fascinating one, but I don't know how how useful or practical it would be. Um, for example, uh, you if you've noticed when cell based meat really started to get talked about, and Mem- Memphis Meat was, I believe, the first company that actually launched. Um, before that, there was uh, Mark Post uh, in Netherlands who had developed the prototype burger, and now he runs Mosa Meats, which is another company. They were the the word that was being used was clean meat um as a way to distinguish it from the real meat and how this clean meat was better um and will be better but increasingly that 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 discussion has started to shift in recent times because i think what some of these new startups are beginning to realize as um as they hope to 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 launch their products at some point and and get into the market they're going to need the meat industry's help in many ways. And of course, the meat industry is not going to work with someone who's saying that their product is better than the product that currently uh, it makes them billions and billions of dollars. <laughs> so it's an interesting discussion, which is why you're seeing now the word cell-based meat thrown around because it's it just it's a descriptor more than, uh, than actually a differentiator in the sense that it is better. It is just different. Um, but I think it's a fascinating question around branding and, and, uh, I'm always interested in branding because I actually started my early career was an intellectual property lawyer and I did trademark law for a bit. So I was always very obsessed with, with, with uh, the idea of how words develop meaning. And, uh, and of course that's very, uh, overlapping with what people do in advertising. And eventually I started working in advertising. So I understood that side of thing as well. So it's, it's just interesting to see where all of this plays out um but you're probably right i think it's um it's too early for that discussion but it's an important discussion to track or important trend to track because you may want to redefine meat but you know that involves changing cultural perceptions around meat globally and that's not an easy task yeah it's a long way to go and i i do by the way have what i think is the best solution to this uh clean meat uh terminology and that is to just say animal-free meat, because I think that what you're taking out of the equation, and mm-hmm. it's like when you say an animal, that's the sentient being. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's like the complete organism that's thinking and feeling. Yeah. So, um, so you know, you're taking the animal out of the equation, and then putting whether it's just cell or or something else back in. Um, anyway, that's my idea for the solution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a fun uh, thing to track over the years. But uh, in the interim, I mean, uh, yeah, we we getting people to go meatless is is still the smart thing to do. <laughs> so right, exactly. Uh, I I think I'm on board with that idea. Um, in terms of you know people listening to this podcast, uh, it tends to be a range of people people who work within the food industry. Uh, run food startups, um, thinking of starting food startups, thinking of launching nonprofits. A- anyone listening at this point is is listening because they are they are passionate about bringing about change uh, in our food system and in whatever way, shape, and form that they think that they can. Uh, 
as I said earlier, when I started off, I'm sure everyone's heard of Meatless Monday. I'm sh- I'm sure many people are going to want to know how to get involved. Or is there some easy way that people um, who want a partner, even if they're not really working in the space, but perhaps want to um, start a local Meatless Monday in, in, in whatever community organization or setting that they find themselves in, uh, what what's the first thing that they can do? Um, well, there are so many different ways that you can um, join the movement, starting with going to our website, um, meatlessmonday.org. You know, you can also fo- uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, but, you know, as I've, I've talked about in the podcast, um, we have so many different resources for people and just whatever you want to do. If you want to be an individual ambassador, if you want to, you know, help support us on social media, if you want to program, start a program in the school, it's just totally an easy first step. And we've got everything you need in order to, um, in order to do that. Um, and also, you know, just try to keep, uh, try to practice it yourself and get your friends on board. Um, you know, ask your local restaurant to offer, you know, meatless Monday options. So there are lots of different ways uh, to do it. And, you know, we like to think we have all the, you know, resources and support people, people need. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. And I think the first time, I mean, every time I talk to people about um, what's happening with our food system and uh, the devastation it's causing to the planet and how it is tied into a lot of the health crisis that we're facing right now as well. Um, Usually people want to know what what can we do and um and they assume I'm trying to tell them, well, you've got to go vegan tomorrow. And I actually I've never actually said that to anyone. And and I usually say the first step is to moderate. And and then go wherever you want to go with that. But the first step is to moderate and there's various tactics to do that. One clear one being Meatless Monday. Um and there's power in that. And I think there's power in the simplicity, as we've said repeatedly in this episode. But there's power in the idea that uh, start somewhere, you know, start somewhere and make a commitment and see where that takes you. Because a lot of people say to me, I could never give up meat because I love, uh, you know, insert whatever product, bacon or fried chicken or whatever dish that they are in love with. And I usually tell them, who's telling you to give that up? (laughs) Does it mean that you're eating that every meal of the day uh, or every day of the week or every day of the month? No. So, you know, eat that when you feel like, while the rest of the time you should really be questioning your food choices. Um, and I think that's why, you know, Meatless Monday has stood the test of time. And I think my guess is we'll continue to stand the test of time as we hopefully bring about the shift and the change we need to see in the food industry. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to you about all this because I'm, I've, I've really been following the, the, the campaign and, and heard about it way before I got involved in this space myself so it really it tells you like everyone really kind of knows about this but um and as i said earlier the time is is sort of now for people to to make the shift so it's more relevant than it ever has been um and and, you know speaking of the time that we're in and and where things are headed um i usually you know ask this question of all my guests and this is how we close out the podcast um it's a very forward-looking question and i give the year 2050 because um According to most estimates, it's the year by which uh, if we do nothing, we're going to be in deep trouble as a planet, as a species, and as multiple other species on this planet are going to be in trouble because of uh, the fact that our food system is just going to destroy our life support systems on this planet. Um, But 
you know, if we get it right, we may have some hope of bringing about change. And it's 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 the role that, say, the Meatless Monday campaign is playing along with many other activists and companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and Memphis Meats and whatever new technologies are going to come. We may have a shot at bringing about change in a timely manner to avert this crisis and to have thriving human populations on this planet. So I guess my question, and that was a long-winded way to introduce the question, but the question really is, is if you continue to succeed at the work that you're doing with Meatless Monday and all the other people working in this movement uh, help bring about the shift that is needed where meat consumption from animals uh, drastically reduces, uh, what kind of world do you see in the year 2050? What kind of food system do you envision in the year 2050? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I guess I would start from the biggest picture broadest thing that I think needs to change, which is, you know, making people become more conscious and more in touch and more compassionate and more aware of how their food choices, um, you know, affects other people and the whole planet. I mean, you have, you know, 21 opportunities a week, if you have three meals a day to, um, uh, you know, uh, to you know, make these um, make these changes. So if in every instance that can be a conscious uh, choice where you're taking into account these larger issues, I think that that would um, go really far. And what that would mean, I think, is you know that you're eating um, you know whole foods that honor your culinary traditions. You're um, you know cooking food. It's the food is grown in a way that is aligned with your values. That is. Um, you know, um, fair and good for the people growing it um, and the communities that it's being grown. But it all starts, you know, sort of with that um, personal choice to eat in a way that is going to be beneficial to others and the planet. And I think, you know, that's partly what we're trying to introduce um, in getting people to go meatless Monday, but then making people and taking that action, but then meet making people feel good about it. You know, oh gosh, you just did this. Guess what? You did something positive for the planet. And I think that, you know, in working together, we can help build that kind of spirit around, um, you know, making these conscious, uh, positive choices that are going to be, you know, have a greater good. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I think we need all of that. And hopefully, we're, I, hopefully I actually am pretty optimistic we're going to get there. And I think it's because... Uh, people like you with your background, your skills and talents are working on issues like this. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm so glad you did go on that mid-career sabbatical and uh, and did some soul searching because uh, the world needs brilliant, smart, talented, qualified people to be tackling big problems. And, and I think this is the biggest problem in the world right now, at least from my perspective. Um, so it's exciting to see that that you've been involved for 10 years and and hopefully we'll continue to be involved for the next many years to come and we'll see that change unfold uh, a year at a time. And in fact, if you just look at what's happened in the last few years, you can almost feel it. There is some energy building. Um, and the last point I think is, I, I think you need to bring back some of those those classic posters. They're really cool. They would make great t-shirts as well. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think you could you could get, you could hit a, a new, a new, uh, new target audience with that uh, uh, kids who, who find really retro stuff cool. So 
Uh, if you haven't done that already, that's just a little idea. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll put that on the list. No, I think you're right. Those Some of those posters are really cool and, you know, yeah, relevant today, definitely. Well, Peggy, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and honor to talk to you finally and to learn not just about the history of Meatless Monday, but also the amazing new plans uh, and how you plan to keep this simple but very powerful idea uh, alive and, and actually turn that into action that may help bring about change in our food system and the planet. So thank you very well, much. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. And I, I feel energized by our conversation as well. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.